and uh, I hope you all have the most blessed Christmas ever, really. And I know many of you are going to be uh, spending time with your families. Some of you will be going north, uh, and one of the ladies asked me this morning, did I have any advice for them as they, they go north and are going to be with some of their children that have not accepted Jesus? Uh, and I know that, if, that, that involves many of us. Uh, and so what, what I said to her, I, I'm, I'm going to say to you, when you go north and you're with family that are outside of God, do not be judgmental. It's a serious mistake to go up and to start, you know, laying the law down. You're, you know, you're going to hell. You're, 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 you're displeasing God. Don't do that. Don't do that. In fact, you don't see Jesus ever saying that. The, the, the best example of Jesus doing that um, is, is when Jesus uh, saw Zacchaeus. And here is Zacchaeus, full of all kinds of warts, stealing money left and right, and, and way outside of God's will. And what does Jesus say as Zacchaeus looks at him? And Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm coming to your house today. And so, in other words, the love of God permeates permeates the judgmental aspect uh, of, of what we want to be. God is the judge, not us. So you go home, you love your kids. You love your family members. You fill that house with love and peace. And you show them just how much God has changed your life. And you tell them and let them see what Jesus has meant to you. How you are come back, you've come to Florida, and Jesus has given you a much bigger family than you ever thought you'd have. Amen? You have people here who love you in a way that many of us have never been loved before. Uh, and, you know, it's funny because uh, one of the things that I'm going to speak about today is as, we, as we, we talk about heaven, and this is going to be all about heaven today, uh, the scripture says that when the patriarchs died, they were gathered to their own. They were gathered to their own. And what does that mean? It means that in heaven, God will bring you to your great family there. Uh, and your acquaintances and all those people that you know it will be gathering to your own. And somebody said to me once, oh, I don't know if I want to be with my uh, family members. The, the family get-togethers in this world were hard enough. But here's the deal. When you get to heaven, you will be made over in the form of Jesus. All those, all those warts and shortcomings are going to be changed. And so it's going to be an incredible experience, really. It's going to be an incredible experience. So that's my advice to you as I thank you for your generosity. Uh, and my advice to you as you travel north. Uh, and the other advice is don't talk about politics. All right? Do yourself a favor, okay? You can have your Trump hat in the trunk, okay? And, but when you go in, a lot of people are unhappy. Stay away. Because if you start talking about politics, here's what's going to happen to your testimony. Zoom. You got it? And you don't want that. All right? So that's just a little thought from me. Now, I was reading an article this morning, and I'm ashamed to tell you where, but it was the New York Times. I believe you have to read what your enemies are conspiring to do against you. And so I, I, I do read the New York Times, and there was a, an article on, in, in the science section today in which scientists, and this is hard to believe, scientists have for the first time heard 
sounds from two black holes one billion light years away. Did you hear what I just said? One billion, with a B, light years away, scientists have heard the sounds of these two black holes effectively collapsing uh, into each other. And I actually heard the sounds. They had, they had the sounds that you could listen to it. And, and here's what's so amazing. That people in this world will believe that there are black holes that they can't see a billion light years away, yet when Jesus tells us that he's going to, place, going to prepare a place for us, God himself says that they don't believe it. You understand? And so I want to tell you that I am, with every fiber of my body, every molecule that I have, I am certain beyond every possible doubt that, that there is a heaven and that Jesus Christ is there waiting for you and he has personally prepared a place for you. And I think that's important for us to know, especially now as you go and you're going to meet your family and friends who don't know about Jesus. And as I spoke last week, and I told you about when Jesus comes back, what that return will be like, I gave you the citation in Thessalonians when it talks about the rapture, that when Jesus comes back, when he comes back, and he takes his church back out of this world, and he takes it. Effectively, what's going to happen is that the graves will open up, and all those who died in Christ, died in Christ, and already their spirits are already in heaven, but their physical bodies are here in the grave or in the ocean, or if they've been cremated, the molecules are separated around. It doesn't matter. Jesus is going to come and bring them up bodily, bodily from those graves, and they will receive glorified bodies. Glorified bodies, as those bodies will be joined with their spirits. Now, what will a glorified body look like? Most likely, it will be similar to what Jesus has. When he, when he came to this world, after he was resurrected, we know that he was, you were able to physically touch him. It was a body that looked like a body, yet it was able to go through doors and walls, and was able to go from second to second to distances that were far apart. And so that's, that's our hope, that's our expectation. And so heaven is a real place. Uh, and that's one of the things that we're going to talk about today. It is a real place. But here's an important thing for you to understand. The heaven that you will go to uh, is only a temporary location. It is a temporary dwelling place until God in the last days will build a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem here in this world. And I'll show you how you can, you can get the citation for that. Turn to Revelations chapter 21. Revelation 21, verse 1. And this is the Apostle John prophesying and having a vision. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. So what does that mean? It means at some point, when God comes back after the second coming, after he effectively levels the injustice in the world, wipes out those that are uh, against God's will, and creates a new heaven, that new heaven will be created here in this world. Uh, and so there will be a new earth, a new heaven, uh, right here. Similarly, 
Similarly, there will also be a new hell. Look at Revelation chapter 20, verse 14. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So let's get our theology straight. Just as there will be a new heaven, a new earth, there will be a new hell. Uh, the current place of hell, which is called Hades, that will be thrown into the eternal lake of fire. And all those outside of God's will, all those whose names are not found in the book of life, all of those things, all of those people will be put into the lake of fire. So it's important to understand uh, the theology of what we believe in. Now, there will be a consciousness in heaven. What do I mean by that? You will know who you are. You will know and recognize others. You will have a memory uh, of things. Uh, and it's pretty clear when we study scripture that that's the case. And so what it means is you'll go to a real place. You will be with people you will recognize. You will be uh, effectively with your own uh, family, friends, and you, uh, as Scripture tells us about that. But you will also have memories. And I want you to turn to Luke chapter 16. Verse 22. Now, if Jesus tells you something, you can take it to the bank. And so Jesus is using an example here of what uh, heaven and hell would be like. Uh, and I want to point your attention to it because it's very poignant. Beginning in uh, verse 22. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Now let me explain to you right there theologically what that means. Carried him to Abraham's side. Until Jesus was resurrected the place of repose for those who believed in God is referred to as either Abraham's bosom or paradise. Not heaven. Abraham's bosom or paradise. This is important. Only after Jesus was resurrected from the dead did the Lord take those who were there uh, in Abraham's bosom and bring them all to heaven. And so they were there with the hope and expectation of who Jesus would be, but they had not yet reached the fulfillment of the promise that could only come when Jesus came and died on the cross. And so what you see here is the beggar died and he's carried to Abraham's side, meaning Abraham's bosom, all right? Heaven then, uh, as it would be known. The rich man also died and was buried in hell where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. What does it mean? It means that certainly on the beyond, there is some point of consciousness, some recognition of who you are and what events are about. I, don't ex I can't explain it more than that than what I read here in Scripture. Uh, I don't, I don't want to go out and hypothesize uh, more than that, but clearly you see this. And he, saw, uh, and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. I can't imagine anything worse than that for hell. 
You're in a place of torment, and yet you can be or be conscious of those people that are in a, in a great place uh, of, of peace. I mean, really, and you can see it. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tum- tongue because I am in agony in this fire. What does that mean? Well, I would say this. If Jesus said that, then most likely hell is a place of a lot of heat, okay? There's a lot of heat. I can't tell you how much heat or, what, or anything like that, but clearly, clearly, uh, the rich man is in torment, and it's in a very inhospitable place. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Abra- Lazarus received bad things. But now he is com- comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over there from there to us. And so there you have it. Great chasm, it cannot be joined, and yet there is some type of consciousness going on um, as, as we are on the other side. Now, one of the things that I want to make sure I emphasize with you is this, that when you die now, you die as a Christian, you go immediately to be with Jesus. There is no uh, intermittent place There is no interval. You go from this life to the next. You take your last breath here, and your next breath is in heaven. And and, uh, I'll give you some proof on that as well. Um, And so if you look, check in at uh, uh, Luke 23, verse 43. Luke 23, verse 43. And this is the thief on the cross, and we like to call this the good thief. You know that, that's right? That's how, how I learned it growing up. The good thief and the bad thief. Well, obviously, they were both bad thieves. They were thieves. But one thief, one thief uh, came to salvation as he hung there. Uh, and there's something to, to be learned. And so, uh, if you read along with me at verse 39, that's Luke 23, verse 39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at Jesus. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. Right there, hanging on the cross. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said. Since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly. For we are getting what our, be- our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now I want to stop right there because that is about the shortest demonstration of salvation that you will find in the Bible. Because Jesus says in the next sentence, Jesus answered and said, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. Can I get an amen? Today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, notice that. It wasn't a long uh, uh, theological demonstration of, of what he believed in. There wasn't any water to be baptized. All he said, Lord, will you remember me today in your kingdom? And in that sentence, it, it, it interposed everything. I know you're God. 
I know you're coming to your kingdom. And I bow before you and ask you to remember me in your kingdom. And that was all Jesus needed today. Here, today, today you will be with me in paradise. And so you see this, this promise of of God through Jesus Christ, that when we believe and when we accept him, that instantaneously, instantaneously, when, when we leave this world, the next breath, the next breath will be uh, in heaven. And so it's, it's, it's important that you know this. Turn also to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I can't, couldn't think of a better Christmas message than this, the message of heaven. Because it really puts together everything, everything that, that represents our faith, what Jesus did for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are con- confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home at the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now let's talk about what that means. When you pass from this life to the next, As believing Christians who have given your heart to Jesus Christ, you're going to heaven. You don't have to have any doubts. And if you have any doubts, come and see me because we'll pray those doubts away. You shouldn't have any doubts. You are going to heaven not because you're good, not because of your personality, not because you gave a lot of money away, not because you were a philanthropist. You're going to heaven for one simple reason. You accepted Jesus Christ. That's it. Just like the thief on the cross, you're going to heaven. You can put it in the bank, Jesus told you. But here's the thing. Each of us, however, when we go there, at some point, we will have to face Jesus. It's a one-on-one. And Jesus will go over with us what we did in this life to advance the kingdom of God. What did we do? What did we do with the gifts and the talents that he gave us? How did we approach a world that was lost? What were the things that we did to tell others about Jesus Christ? That's what this is about. Now, that's not a judgment, but that is a seat of rewards, meaning what? God will reward you for the work that you did to advance the kingdom of God. Now, what will those rewards be? I can't tell you. Uh, I suspect that when God creates the new heaven and the new earth, uh, that there will be opportunities here most likely to govern uh, or administer in various sections of this globe. I imagine that that's probably the case. Or in some other place in the universe. I don't know. But clearly, clearly, God, through Jesus Christ, is going to reward you for what you did. Now, it's not a good thing to live your life in this world because you want to get rewards, okay? Don't get up and keep a scorecard. Oh, yeah, that's good. I got 10 points today. I get five points tomorrow. Don't, don't go there, okay? We don't do that. We don't, we don't do what we do because we're trying to get rewards. We do what we do because we love Jesus, because we could never repay him. 
because he saved us, because we didn't deserve to be saved. And so as a result of that, our heart is filled with love for Christ. And so we see a lost world. We see people outside the will of God, and our heart breaks. Our heart is burdened. And if your heart doesn't break, or if your heart is not burdened, then you need to get on your knees and ask God to fill you with his spirit. Because when you're filled with his spirit, you'll see that. That's how you will live. And so this is important to understand how heaven works. And that's how heaven works. So you will face Jesus at some point. And I've told you before that one of my greatest fears is that when I face Jesus, he'll look at me and he'll say, Oh, John, I had such great plans for you. Wow. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear I had such great plans. None of you want to hear I had such great plans. Instead, you want to hear, well done, right? Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's how we live. So that's the essence of understanding what this is about, what Christ has called us to be, how we're supposed to live. And so I want you to recognize this, that, that there is a consciousness in heaven. Uh, and I will prove it also with another verse. Turn to Revelation chapter 6. Verse 9. And again, this is the Apostle John on the Isle of Patmos uh, having a, a, basically a prophecy uh, and writing it down of what, what the end times will be like in verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. In other words, martyrs. People killed, martyred for the kingdom of God. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? How do you like that? So there's a sense of consciousness. The martyrs remember what was done to them. They're there. They've been killed because of, the, of the, their, their testimony for the kingdom of God, and they're asking God to bring justice back in this world. There is a consciousness on the other side, and see the, see the answer, which is very instructive also. Verse 11, then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer. And the number of their fellow servants, wait until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. Underline that. What does that mean? When you understand the sovereignty of God, you begin to understand that you don't know anything about the will of God as what happens in this world. As I read that verse, the martyrs are told there are others who will be martyred. There are more coming. There are more people who will be killed. God doesn't say, I'm going to bring it to a halt now. I'm going to stop injustice. Do you see what I mean? In some sovereign celestial plan, God knows this and will allow it to happen, will allow those deaths to happen because there will be a time when it comes to fruition when it's all over and the curtain will come down. Yet the martyrs know it, the martyrs are conscious of it, uh, and you see this right there in heaven. 
Turn also to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12. You should leave here today with an absolute conviction and understanding there is a heaven and you're going. Not because you're good, but because Jesus died for you. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, and this is again referring to the end times. Verse 1, at that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. There will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. What does that mean? It means this, there will be two resurrections. When Jesus comes back uh, at the rapture, those who died in Christ will rise up from their graves. But those who did not die in Christ, those graves will sit still until Jesus will come back at the end for the final judgment, for the white throne judgment. And then at that day, those graves, those graves of the ungodly, those graves who have not, whose names are not written in the book of life, those graves will open up. And then that endless line will stand before the white throne judgment of Jesus Christ. Wow, that's pretty powerful just thinking about it as you understand it. So it's right there in Daniel making it very clear that there is a life everlasting, whether it's a life for good or a life for, for evil. And so we see this conscious aspect of being in heaven and understanding what it is. And so we understand that when we go, when we pass, uh, we will go immediately to be with Jesus. The only judgment that we will face is a judgment of faith. Judgment of faith, meaning I believe in Jesus Christ, I've accepted him as my Lord and Savior, and that free gift will, give, will, will make you uh, free forever in heaven. Now, turn to Romans chapter 14. Okay. Romans 14, verse 10. Actually, we'll start with verse 9. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will confess to God, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. There it is. Each of us will give an account of himself to God. And so the point of that is that when we die, we're going to go to God. We're going to go to heaven. We'll be there in heaven because we're saved, but we will give an account of what we did for the Lord and there will be rewards. Look also to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I know sometimes people say, well, you, you, you kill us with verses, but here's the point. What good is it if I give you my opinion? All right? If I were in court, am I going to tell a judge what I think he should do without citing the law? 
I'm citing the law, okay? That's what this is about right now. I'm citing the law, and you're the judge. And you better be fair. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. That's the, that's the judgment seat of Christ for us as Christians when we review, when he reviews with us what we did for the kingdom. That judgment seat does not mean that you're headed to hell after God reviews your life. You're not headed to hell. You're headed to heaven. You're going to be there. Forever and ever. Now, we don't know precisely when you have that face-to-face with Jesus. The theologians are, are divided on that. Uh, some say, well, it's when, you, when you're, you're called home and you pass away. Others say there's no real proof about that. I don't think it matters as to the timing. But what it does matter is that clearly that's how, that's how heaven works and that's how Jesus works. And so that's how the judgment works that we will face. And so rewards, the rewards are dependent on our faithfulness. Look at Revelations chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. I mean, you got to admit it's all over the place, right? Revelation chapter 2, verse 26. To him who overcomes and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my Father, I will also give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, there's Jesus telling you full out. That's what it's about. He will give you some kind of authority. What does it mean precisely? I can't tell you precisely. But it's a gigantic universe. And God will award you and treat you based on what you did in this life to advance the kingdom of God. Now, I have some additional thoughts um, about the aspect of heaven as it related to understanding what the patriarchs did and how they lived their lives. There clearly is evidence in the Old Testament that there was a life hereafter, clearly, uh, and, and the Bible is pretty clear to that. And if you look... Turn to Genesis chapter 25. So I'm giving you now the Old Testament proof for the fact that there was a heaven, even before Jesus came. Genesis chapter 25. Verse 7. We're going to see Abraham now at the end of his life. Altogether, Abraham lived 175 years. Pretty good run, right? Not bad. Not Methuselah, but pretty good. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age. An old man and full of years. And he was gathered to his people. Underline that. And he was gathered to his people. Now, some liberal theologians will say, well, that merely means he was buried. No, that's completely wrong. 
Why do I say he buried, buried with his people? No, wrong. And the reason I can tell you that is Abraham came out of the Ur of the Chaldees. Okay? That effectively would have been where Iraq is now. And God brought him effectively out of Iraq to where he came now. He dies in what will be Israel. He's not being gathered back to the land of his forebears, Iraq. He's being buried. He's being buried in Israel. And in fact, his father, who had left the Ur of the Chaldees also, was buried in Haran, which is not in Israel, so he's not even being buried with his father. He's being buried uh, in Israel, and he is gathered to his people. Meaning what? It means that when he died, God took him and brought him to paradise, and in paradise he would be with his people, with his family, who are in God with his friends who are in God, in a state of conscious understanding of who he was and who they are. Heaven is not a magical, mystical place. Heaven is a real location. Make no mistake about it. Heaven is a real location. Now, this phrase, gathered to his people, is repeated over and over again. Uh, it, was, it was done with the death of Jacob. It was, it was mentioned also with Aaron. Uh, and so it, uh, uh, it's very interesting that, that, that the Bible uses this phraseology. And so to me, it's very clear. Uh, and so uh, oh, you should have that assurance that even before Christ came, even before Christ came, there was clear understanding, clear theological demonstration that there is a life hereafter for those who serve God. And we will be there in a state of consciousness, knowing others, remembering. Now, there's another example of this state of consciousness that you need to, to see, and that's on the Mount of Transfiguration. Turn to uh, Luke chapter 9. Verse 28, about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up to a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning, meaning he is being transfigured into what he would be like when he had his glorious body, when he died. He's being transfigured. Two men... Moses and Elijah appeared in glorious splendor with Jesus, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. So let's get this picture. They wake up from a sleep. They look up, there's Jesus transfigured in the air, standing next to two men, all right? Moses and Elijah. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Good, good thought, Peter. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Who told him? Where's the footnote? By the way, I was just up there with Moses and Elijah. 
You understand? Nobody told him. But he knew, he recognized in the spirit, Moses and Elijah. There is a state of consciousness on the other side. This is pretty powerful stuff. You understand it? Now, I don't know if you ever thought about this before today. Frankly, I didn't until I was writing this lesson. But, but you, you, you get a sense of understanding what God has to come. There will be a state of recognition for us on the other side. So not only will you be with Jesus, not only will you be with Jesus, uh, but uh, you, you will recognize the others. You will recognize your family. You will recognize those who have gone before you. What a great and glorious day that will be. The more you study heaven, the more you see what Jesus says, the more you will not be afraid of facing death. Honestly. And I know still some of you have some trepidation about this. Don't, don't have that. Don't have this. You have the greatest promise. You're going to be with your loved ones, your, your, your family that died ahead of you. Some of you have lost children. You're going to see your kids. You're going to see them. They're waiting there for you. They're going to recognize you, and you're going to recognize them. How does this happen? I don't know. Okay? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I can't tell you how it will be that if babies died, how you will recognize them, what they, what they will be like on the other side. All I know is I trust the Lord, and I know that there is a great place. So you have that great place. And there's another verse in Scripture that says that when we get there, when we pass on as Christians, we will be like him. What does that mean? It means not only will our bodies have the kind of glorious body that he has, but that we will be, in a sense, like the character of Christ. We will no longer have the kind of character that we have now, this flesh that carries us down. You know, even though we, we love the Lord, we still will do mean things. We may say mean-spirited things. We have a spirit of envy. You know, do I have to go on? You understand. All those things that we, that we suffer with in this world, we will be like him. That's why when it said, gather to his own, fear not. Don't worry about your family members that were mean to you. I understand it. I said it on the way to church here today. I was talking about one of my uncles who, God bless him, you know, could do some mean things to me even though he would then say to me, would you pray for me? Yeah, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. But yet, yet, yet inevitably, inevitably, he would do something mean. And, and here's the thing. I know he's on the other side. And I know what to get, when I get to see him on the other side, I know his character is going to be changed. Uh, because my character will be changed. Okay? My character will be changed. Your character will be changed. And so there it is. All of this is implicit in those three verses in John chapter 14, 1 to 3, I go to prepare a place for you. That's why I've spent two weeks telling you everything that you need to know about what that place is like, why he's there, and why you can take it to the bank that when you pass, at that moment, he's coming for you, he's going to take you by the hand, and he's going to bring you to a place the likes of which you have no idea. Can I get an amen? amen? Let's close in prayer. I want you all to have the most blessed Christmas ever. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, I thank you, Lord, for these words. Lord, these words resonate in our heart. 
What a great gift you've given us, Lord, as we come to realize how great salvation is. It's not just in this world, but it's in the world to come. You've given us eternal life and the promise to be with it forever, with our families, those who have died with you, Lord. We know, and we thank you that, it, that it's not because of our good works or our lack of good works or our lack of personality. That instead, it's because we've simply accepted you. Lord, help us. Help us to this week, as we go and meet a lost world, to be able to tell others what you have done for us so that we can spread this message to others who need it. Bless our people. Protect them this week, Lord, and bring them back in two weeks to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. God bless you. I love you guys. God bless.